want to turn to the book of Galatians, we're going to take that last verse in chapter 5 and then head into chapter 6. But we're all refreshed and ready to learn, right? I mean, we had, this is fall back Sunday. It's barely an inconvenience to show up today, right? You got that extra hour. You know, if you're like me, though, like your body is programmed to get up at the same time no matter what. I set my alarm so that I can get up before the alarm goes off and turn it off. The, the alarm never actually goes off. Uh, so if you change, like daylight savings time, if you change the time, my body doesn't care what the government says. Like, I wake up at the same time. So I get up at 5 o'clock every Sunday morning to go through my notes and to, you know, you know go over my sermon. And this morning it just means 4 o'clock. I'm like, bing. <laughs> so what am I going to do? It's 4 a.m. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll sit here and uh, stare at the wall for a while. So, Okay, but uh, hey, we're extra ready. And so, like I said, we're going to take that last verse of chapter 5 and then the first five verses of chapter 6. And, and today's sermon is just really, really practical because the passage of Scripture we're studying is just really, really practical. It's just practical instruction that Paul is giving the churches of Galatia on how to be the church. Here are the things that should be on your mind. Here's what you should be doing as the church. And so we need this desperately. Like we wanna do church right. We wanna do it for the right reasons. We wanna do the right things. That's why here, as I mentioned in announcement time, here in a few weeks, we're gonna be spending eight weeks just talking about the things we do at church and the purpose behind it all. But we need reminded of why we do what we do Or so many of these things that we do can become aimless. It can lose a sense of purpose that's supposed to be there. So the church today, it needs this instruction like this passage we're studying today. We need it desperately. Because sometimes the church, we kind of lose our way. The church isn't exactly doing a bang-up job (laughs) in in recent times, it feels like. I'm sorry if I sound like a little bit of a pessimistic person there, but I am. All right. Uh, But, you know... In 20 years of full-time ministry, if I'm being really honest, I think there's been some moments that have been so great in the church. I've seen the church uh, display holiness in profound ways, in ways that really set the church apart from the rest of the world. And then there's been other times in which uh, I've seen things take place in the church that are a disgrace to the church. And, And sometimes I've been a part of church when it's behaved in ways that are practically indistinguishable from the rest of the world. Uh, So the reason that's the case, though, is because we're here. A church is comprised of people. Last week, we talked about that struggle that each and every one of us are in, and we're in it right now, a struggle between the desires of the flesh and the the desires of the spirit. We're, We're all in that battle as individuals. We have our old self battling against our new self, empowered by the Spirit. And so when we gather together, that individual battle that all of us are are involved with, it becomes a collective struggle. And so just like in those times as individuals, sometimes it feels like you're losing that battle against the flesh, and sometimes it feels like you're winning that battle against the flesh. Just like that as an individual, when we gather together collectively as the church, we're going to have those same feelings. There are going to be moments in which we are in the zone. 
We are denying the flesh. We're being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit in such a way that the holiness displayed by our church, it will set us apart from the rest of this fallen and broken world. But there will be other times in which we, we trip up. We get out of sync with the Spirit, out of step with it. And it's going to feel like we're giving in to sin as a church, as a whole. It just, that's just how it happens because what happens on that individual basis, when we gather together collectively, it's what happens together, all of us. And so what do we want to do? Well, as a church, we need to do as what we do as individuals. As an individual, if I want to win that battle, if I want to gain victory there in my life over a particular sin, what does the Bible tell me to do? Like we studied last week, we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We, we, we provide for that way of life by setting our minds on the things that the Spirit wants to set our minds upon. Well, collectively, it's the same thing. We need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And so sometimes we're good at that and sometimes we're bad at that. But you know what? The good news is this letter to the Galatians, it was written to people just like you and I, to imperfect people who are struggling in that battle to churches that gather together and have ups and downs. That's what the book of Galatians was written for, to help people just like us who need grace, who need instruction, who need correction, who need rebuke, encouragement, hope, so that we can get back on the right track whenever we've lost our way. So, you know, this book was written uh, to, this, to, the, to this group of churches as a way of God providing his word through his apostle to equip them for this battle. So do we want to keep in step with the Spirit? All right, here's what we need to do. And that last verse we we, uh, studied in chapter 5, verse 25. I'll read it again before we get into the new passages we're studying. 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Keep in step by the Spirit. That might be what your translation says. So we're, we're not to passively, right? We talked about this last week. As individuals, we don't passively wait for God to change us. We don't say, well, he, I'll just go ahead and sin and do whatever I want. You know, lightning hasn't struck me, so I guess it's okay to continue doing what I'm doing right now. No, we want to actively pursue the holiness of God. That's what the Christian does. We deny our flesh, and we want to put to death the desires of the flesh. That's what Paul means when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I, I'm putting to death my old ways, And I want to be filled with the Spirit and pursue this life of holiness we're called to live. That's setting us up for this really practical message today with just really practical points of advice on how we're supposed to live and and be as the church. So I'm going to read verse 26, and this is the first piece. Really, I've I've kind of broken the sermon into three practical pieces of instruction. So here's, here's the first one. Chapter 5, verse 26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So how are we going to be the church? What are we going to do when we're here? How are we going to be the church? Well, well, you need to stop all of the envying, stop all of the arrogance, and stop all of the pride. That's easier said than done, right? I mean, we, we like to think that we're super humble. We're the humblest people of all, right? That's, uh, that's kind of our, our posture sometimes. But if we want to be the church well, we need to actively put to death arrogance, pride, and envy. 
And the way that we put that to death is to do exactly what Paul has instructed us through the book of Galatians. We need to put to death legalism. That's what, that's what this book was addressing. The book of Galatians, it's about freedom in Christ. It's about putting to death legalistic beliefs. And so when you embrace legalism, when you embrace a works-based way of thinking, it is a breeding ground for arrogance in your life. Right? If you are one who believes, I have to work, I have to create enough good works in my life in order to be loved and accepted by God. If you're going to embrace that way of thinking, it's a breeding ground for arrogance because you've got to prove yourself. And if you're the type of person, you've got to prove yourself to God, you've got to prove yourself to others, you've got to puff out your chest and you've got to let people know. Right? And that's, that's what happens because you've you got to convince yourself that you've done enough good works to, love, to be loved and accepted by God. I think that's the biggest hurdle to overcome, right? And so the way that we try to convince ourselves is by comparing ourselves to everybody else, and especially the people that we deem to be not doing as good as us. That's what, when you're a works-based thinker, you don't want to compare yourself to like Mother Teresa, right? You want to compare yourself to the scum of the earth so that you can convince yourself you're doing great. If you embrace a works-based way of thinking, a works-based way of salvation, well, it's all relative, right? How are you doing? Well, compared to who? Com compared to what? So when you're reading in the New Testament, if you want to get an idea of what it's like for someone to think in a legalistic mindset, there's one group of people that comes to mind. It's the Pharisees. Remember in, when we studied through the Gospels, Jesus' biggest opponent is always the Pharisees. The Pharisees were always living in this, this posture of proving themselves and making sure you knew how holy they were. They were all about convincing the whole world that they had it right and everybody else had it wrong. And so they would always criticize Jesus and Jesus was always criticizing them. If you want your homework text this week, here it is. Look up Luke chapter 11. Verses 37 through 44, and if you're new with us, every week I, I preach a sermon, I give you a homework text that you can go and, and read in your devotional time that'll complement what I'm saying. But Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 44 is this moment in which Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. I'll, I'll pluck verse 43 out of that chapter to, to read to you. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces. He, he, he would get in their faces like, man, you guys, you sure do love people looking at you, don't you? You love it when everybody sees how great you are. Whenever we gather our families to the synagogues, we know where you're going to be sitting. You're going to be sitting up front in that throne-looking chair, right? So everybody can see how great you are and how prominent you are over and above everybody else. When we're in the marketplace, man, we're all supposed to come up to you and pay homage to how great you are, aren't we? That's how, that's how Jesus was so blunt with these Pharisees just in their, in their face, like, man, you guys make sure that none of your works, good works go unnoticed, right? We all get a notification on our phone anytime you guys do something good because that's the way you live your life. It's exhausting. And of course, when we study the Pharisees, isn't it particularly convicting? Uh, because that pharisaical way of thinking, it's a thousand times worse in our day than it is in their day, right? 
I mean, can you imagine if Pharisees had access to like social media and things like that and how they would promote themselves? And then you consider how Christians today promote themselves on social media and it's, it's, um, it's never actually accomplishing what we think it's accomplishing. I mean, really, if we, could, if we could think about this, like when a Christian is being boastful, is being like a Pharisee and, and letting everybody know about some good work they're doing, like, uh, oh, you know, what's, the, what's the stereotypical post where you, you know, you got to get your coffee cup just right there. Hold on, let me get, take, get the angle just right, take the snapshot. Doing a devotional today. You know, it's like, well, it sounds like you're on Facebook today. <laughs> but, you know, we got to promote ourselves. When, when Christians behave like that, it never actually accomplishes what they think it accomplishes. Like when somebody makes a post like that on social media, what, what do they think that's accomplishing? Do they think, I mean, are they, oh, I'm just doing my part to inspire you to read your Bible. <laughs> I mean, what it's actually accomplishing, whenever Christians um, give into that uh, self-promotion of their faith on Facebook, what they, what they actually accomplish is one of two things. People either look at that and roll their eyes, or people look at that and they envy the praise that you're getting, or the, the praise that you're self-perpetuating. That's probably a better way to say, it, to say that. And is that really what you want? You know, do you want people to covet the way people revere you like that? Because if you do, that's the epitome of the heart of the Pharisee and what Jesus, you know, rebuked all of the time. And so if we want to be the church well, we need to end selfie Christianity, right? I mean, the Christians that embrace this uh, selfie Christianity, it's, it's, such a, it's such a very obvious symptom of an insecure heart. When people have to self-promote like that, they don't feel safe. They're trying to prove themselves because they feel insufficient in some way. Functionally, they don't think Jesus is enough, so they've got to come up with what's impressive because Jesus hasn't. Right? Jesus has freed us from that way of thinking. If we want to be the church today and we want to keep in step with the Spirit, we have to end that selfie Christianity that Jesus has freed us from. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. Jesus did that for us, right? He made us acceptable to God. We don't have to prove ourselves to each other. You know why? Because I, I can't. I, I can't carry that burden. I can't control uh, what other people think of us or what other people think of me. Like, I, I just can't control that. Um, so trying to create this selfie religion that is really impressive to everybody else and, and, and trying to, to be accepted by everyone, like that's just too big of a burden to carry. But this freedom that we have in Christ, it's a freedom from that selfishness style of religion that the Pharisees always put on display. So I think Paul is he's bringing up this, these really practical pieces of advice just to say like, hey, you can set that down now. That's, that's not us anymore. Set that down. We've been freed from a focus on self. You don't have to prove yourself to God. You don't have to prove yourself to others. We have freedom in Christ. And because we have that freedom, we're freed up to do other things. Let's keep reading. 
Verse 1 in chapter 6. Here's the next piece of practical advice. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You want to be the spirit-led church? We're in the business of restoring other people and keeping a watch on our own sin. Those two things, that's, that's what we're to participate in when we gather as the church. So we're not in the business of condemning people. That's God's business. We're in the business of restoring people alongside the Spirit and putting our own sin to death. That's what we're supposed to do. And so everybody in here, if we want to take this piece of practical advice and apply it to our lives right now, this is the church you have gathered with. If you call this your church, then you need to feel an obligation to every single person in this gathering. If you're not feeling a sense of obligation to the people in this room right here in the local expression of the church that the journey is, you're not doing church yet. Right? I mean, we, I, I want to feel a responsibility to you, and you need to feel a responsibility to me. All of us are in this together, and so we want to restore each other. We want to encourage one another. And so when someone is caught in a transgression, what are we going to do when we're, when we're in this together? Well, we don't want to just shake our heads and look at someone and be like, oh man, can you believe that? Look at that idiot. What was he thinking, right? I mean, that's, that's counterproductive. That's, that's counterproductive behavior. It's, it's exhausting, but yet I think that's what a lot of people in churches do today. When somebody's life goes sideways, we don't want to get into the mess we don't want to feel responsible. We want them to feel guilt and shame. We want to revel in the gossip. Right? When, when we embrace gossip, the reason you and I like gossip, the reason we love gossip and we want to hear it is because we like to revel in the misfortune of other people. That's our flesh. That's our legalistic mindset at work. That's a really practical example of it. We revel in the misfortune of others because our legalistic, flesh-filled mind says, I'm better than them. Right? I'm better than them. They're doing bad and I'm doing good. That's why we love gossip, because it proves ourselves to the world that we're better, we're doing good, and they're doing bad. That's how I know I'm doing good. Paul says that's not how the church is supposed to behave, right? We're to feel an obligation to real people in a real gathering. And so when their life's falling apart and they're bleeding out, we don't revel in their misfortune. We mourn in that misfortune. We're willing to go sit in that mess with them rather than revel in that mess. We need each other. That's how God set this up. It's not a cheap way to live. It's an expensive way to live. Right? It costs us to live like that. But when someone's, when someone's life is falling apart, kicking them while they're down, right? That's cheap. <laughs> Gossiping about them, shunning them, that's cheap. That's a cheap way to live. Doesn't cost you anything to live like that. Being led by the Spirit, that's going to be a little bit more awkward. It's going gonna, it's gonna to burden us right? We want to find someone spiritual to restore them. Did you notice that in the text? Right? We want to, we want to uh, find someone spiritual and restore them in, in a spirit of gentleness. So 
I, I, I appreciate the notion, but it's, it's not always the pastor that has to do that, <laughs> but, right? Because uh, all of us are in this together. Some of us are going to be in good seasons, and some of us are going to be in bad seasons. And so when, when you're in a bad season, we want to find someone who's in a good season of life to pour into that and to confront and restore that sin in someone's life who's going through a bad season, right? Who's in a bad place. I mean, we want to take sin seriously, and so we want to confront it, and we want to do that with gentleness. That's the hard part. Again, that's, that's the expensive part. Like when you think of confronting somebody's sin, I want to use the Bible as a blunt instrument at times, right? When someone just does something so self-destructive or so just bad, I, I, <laughs> there's a part of me that just, it's, there's the rage, right? I got a lot of pastor rage deep down in there, so pray for me. But you know, sometimes I just want to, I, I do. I, I want to fulfill a desire of the flesh and, and use my Bible like a blunt instrument, or I want to address them in a way that's disrespectful and harsh. Hey, idiot, <laughs> right? All right, that would so appease my flesh-filled desires. But if we're gonna be confronting people in a spirit of gentleness, then you have to get that type of strength under control. That's what gentleness is, right? It's, it's hard and it's expensive to be compassionate towards someone. But gentleness is a characteristic of someone who feels secure. Right? When, when we lash out and we lose control of our emotions like that, that comes from a place of fear and panic, insecurities. But the gospel takes us down a notch and, and secures us in such a way that we should be able to display humility in that moment. That's what fuels that gentleness that we confront one another with. It's humility. Right? When it says, keep, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't you love that? There's balance in each one of these uh, teaching points that Paul has for us. Like, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When you see another Christian stumble and fall, you know, we're not to be... People, People who say, boy, I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure glad I'm not like them. Right? I'm sure glad, aren't you, God, aren't you glad I'm not like them? No. The gospel takes us down a notch to where we're like, man, you know, that could be me. I'm prone to that too. I'm capable of that too. I'm not bulletproof in my faith. Does anybody feel bulletproof in their faith in here? You shouldn't. Right? We're all fallen. We all have our old self battling against us. So when someone gives in to sin and makes a mess in their life, we look at that and think, man, we can empathize. We understand the draw to sin. We, we feel that draw each and every day. They just happen to give into it, and so we should empathize with them and, and want to pursue them in a way that's gentle and that points them towards repentance. Right? If they feel ashamed, right? Let, let's, let's sit in the mess with them and let's help them out of it. You know, sometimes like, I think this is true. Each and every one of us in here should, be, should think like this. Like you, you probably have a moment in your future you don't even know about yet in which you're going to fall flat on your face. No matter how mature you are, no matter how many years you've been a believer in here, you have a moment in your future that awaits in which you're going to fall flat on your face because none of us in here are immune to sin and just stupidity because we're people. 
So this time it may be you picking them up, but next time it may be them picking you up. That's what it means to be a part of the church. That's what Paul's trying to communicate to these churches in Galatia. We're people that are slow to condemn, quick to help. Like the Pharisees, if you go back to the Pharisees, those were the guys that were quick to condemn. But what about Jesus? One of my favorite verses in Matthews from 12:20, talking about Jesus, it says, "A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench." What a beautiful like picture. It's God's telling us how we should view trash. And he's, he's, he's getting a picture of trash in our heads so that we can better know how to love people and care for people and empathize and have compassion on them. When you think of a reed, you think of uh, a woodwind instrument. When that reed breaks, when it finally breaks, that is trash now. No one looks at that broken reed and says, man, we should put this back together so I can keep using it. No, that reed is trash. Ten times out of ten times, when that reed breaks, it is trash. When you think of a smoldering wick, you think of that candle that you're burning to make your house smell better. Once it finally burns down through all the wax, and it, all, it just has that little smoldering wick that's not even a flame anymore, it's just a little ember there. What do you do with that? Well, ten times out of ten times, you throw that in the trash. It's done. It's over. God wants us to think of pieces of trash so that he can teach us something. When someone's knee-deep in sin, and they are so seemingly hopelessly lost in the mess they've created for themselves, we may think to ourselves or be tempted to think, that's like a broken reed, that's like a smoldering wick, it's over, they're done. But Jesus never thinks that way. Jesus isn't through with them. And that's what the New Testament is teaching us. We should never be through with them either. We're not to abandon believers in their sin. We're to confront them in gentleness in their sin and lead them to repentance. Because it's all about restoration. But that's a burden. That's a burden. So if you're not willing to embrace that burden, church is never really going to feel like it's for you. Look at, look at verses 2 through 5. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Okay, so you want to be a part of the church? You want to, you want to do church right? Let's take what Paul just said here, one thing after the next. Well, we need to bear one, one another's burdens. Right? If you're a true believer here today, this local church needs you to bear the burdens of the people in this local church. We're gathered here together. We should feel this sense of responsibility and obligation to each other. We are here to bear the burdens of people here. This is the gathering of the local church. This is where this happens. And every single person in here needs this local church to bear the burdens in your life. You need it too. There is not a single person in this room that is a self-sufficient Christian. 
So when I, whenever I read in Scripture, if you're like me, when you're reading through the Bible, you learn certain truths that are offensive to you, right? They offend us in the flesh. And some of those truths that we learn are more offensive than others. This is one of those truths that is especially offensive to me. I don't like this truth. I don't like to believe that I'm not a self-sufficient believer. That offends me. I take great pride in being self-sufficient. I like to think of myself as self-sufficient, right? I take great pride in not asking for help from anyone. That's my flesh, right? My flesh regularly reminds me, I don't know if you're like this too, right? You're a man, right? You don't ask help from anybody at any time. You can do this on your own. I don't need anybody at any point, right? Any of you men feel like that in here? You're not going to ask anybody for anything. Your flesh reminds you how great you are. You really think you're somebody. I'd rather die than ask somebody for help at times. That's just the way I am. I'd rather mess up a thousand times than ask any of you to help me with a project or something. That's just my pride. That's how, that's how my brain works. That's my old self talking, and maybe, maybe that connects with some of you. And so you're like me. You learn a lot of things the hard way because that's your inclination. Well, when you're setting your minds on the things of the Spirit, this is where the Bible takes you down a notch. And you need to be taken down a notch, and so do I. Did you circle that verse 3? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That self-deception of self-sufficiency, that can be a really crippling thing in our walk with God. I mean, if that goes unchecked in your life, it can wreak havoc in your life. But the proud in the Bible are constantly warned because God opposes the proud, right? If you think you're self-sufficient, you're delusional, right? If you think you're self-sufficient, it's because you're self-inflated. Right? Paul's making this appeal to these churches in Galatia that have a tendency to think more legalistically. He's saying, man, don't let your pride cut you off from people. Your pride is getting in the way of caring for the people around you. Your pride is isolating you from the people around you. And so you and I feel these same tendencies too. Again, when other people mess up in their life, the tendency is to step away from that. I got enough responsibility in my life. I don't want more responsibility. I've come to church to take a break from responsibility, to hit time out and get fed, right? I don't want more responsibility in my life. I mean, he's saying, don't, don't let your pride cut you off from people. Don't be so selfish and self-righteous that you never help anybody in your life carry a burden. And don't be so self-delusional that you think you don't need other Christians to cope with the burdens in your life too. I mean, that's what this church is about. That's, that's the things that are supposed to be on our minds when we gather here. Was it on your mind today that when you walked into this room and you started singing songs with people and doing a responsive reading with people and, and shaking hands, was it on your minds? I am responsible for these people. These are my people. Do you think like that when you come in here? Or is it just, hey, church is barely an inconvenience today, so I'm going to check in and check out and be gone? 
Paul's confronting this church in Galatia because they're neglecting each other. They're so caught up in, their, in themselves that they're just neglecting each other. And so if you want to flourish as a believer, maybe you've got to run a quick diagnostic test. Do you feel like you're flourishing right now? And what do you need to tweak in your participation with the church that could address that problem that you have? Maybe this experience isn't fulfilling to you because you're not investing in anyone. Maybe this experience isn't as fulfilling as it could be because you're not put, putting yourself in a, in a position to be invested in, right? You have to be present and actively involved more than just shaking a hand and disappearing for a week to have that sort of relationship. But you're not gonna have that sort of relationship if you don't feel the conviction to feel a responsibility to one another here, right? But there's a balance there too though, right? There's a balance there. We gotta carry our own load too. Did you notice the emphasis that he had in verses four and five? Let me read it to you again. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So at the same time that we feel this responsibility to everybody, this isn't to be a place that you come to and, and pawn off all of your responsibilities to everybody else so that they can fix your life. Church isn't going to work for you if that's your posture, right? Because we're all... We're all in the same rat race you are. But I feel like a lot of times people will come to church and they'll try it out. And they'll say, church didn't work for me. And I've always wondered, and I've heard that exact phrase a thousand times. Why didn't church work for you? I wonder. Well, when you say church didn't work for you, did you mean you wrecked your life in sin and then finally showed up out of an act of desperation and then when everybody didn't, like frantically rush to fix all of the problems in your life and scramble to care and cater for you? Uh, are you saying that at that point you, you grew impatient and didn't have any use for us? Is that what you mean by church didn't work for you? Because I feel like that's what a lot of people mean when they say church didn't work for me. We didn't fix all their problems just like that. That's not how this works. This is a two-way street. It's going to have ups and downs, but we have to feel a responsibility to one another. It's a give and take. So I carry my burdens, and I carry your burdens. You carry your burdens, and you help me carry mine. That's the practical advice that Paul is giving these churches in Galatia. And if we have that mindset, what we're doing at that point is we're fulfilling the law of Christ. What is that law of Christ? Well, it's not legalism. It's not pride. It's not fulfilling the Old Testament law. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus did that. The law of Christ is the law of grace. It's the law of sacrificial love. It's the law of humility. That's what the church is about, and that's how we do it. So, with that church series on my mind around the corner, I paused to think through these practical verses in Galatians to kind of say, like, it, it's so appropriate for us to take a season of study to really think about every aspect of the church. Because if we don't, if we don't think about what we're doing, if we're not intentional 
with what we're doing here, this can feel aimless in a hurry. This can feel uh, purposeless, right? It can feel like there's, there's no point to what we're doing. We're just, we're just spinning our wheels. But if we want to take to heart church and do it right, we need to find ways to practically apply this practical truth that he gives us here in Galatians. So let's pray about that as we go into a time of communion. And let's think about how we can be intentional in applying this practical instruction. Let's pray. Lord, again, we, we're so grateful for the local gathering of the church. And Lord, it's so often that the purpose behind what we're doing here gets lost. It gets lost in the competition of religion. It gets lost in us trying to prove ourselves as individuals or us trying to prove ourselves as a church, trying to puff out our chest and be super religious. Lord, we're, we're thankful for, for this instruction that humbles us, that calls us out. Lord, because each and every one of us are guilty of the, those prideful things. We're so prone to that self-centeredness. We're prone to the gossip. We're prone to discarding one another and dismissing one another. But Lord, help us to do church in a sense that we would not be that way, that we would fulfill the desires of the Spirit, set our, things, set our minds on the things of the Spirit, and truly care for each other. Lord, there are times in my life in which my actions are an embarrassment to this church. And I'm grateful for the people of this church that show me grace and love and are patient with me, gentle with me. I've been confronted by people in this church in a way that hurt, but it was necessary. And Lord, I pray that we could be that for one another, that we would receive that in a sense that we can hear that from one another because we know we care for each other. We can receive rebuke from somebody that we know cares for us. Lord, help us to have a real enough relationship with one another that we can embrace these difficult times or so that we can, we can mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. Lord, just live real life with each other and not just try to put on this fake facade of nice church. We want real church. And Lord, it's your gospel that frees us up to do this. Help us to think about those things as we go into a time of communion. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.